Welcome to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. If you want to follow the podcast on Facebook, just do a search on Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone and the Facebook page will come right up. If you want to follow the podcast on X, Getter, and True Social, do a search for at RKY Freedom. That's at RKY and then the word freedom, all one word. Also, if you have a guest in mind or just a suggestion on how I can better improve this podcast, email me, Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at P-R-O-T-O-N-M-A-I-L.com. Thank you very much for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. times have we sat around and complained about the problems in this country but never done anything? Well, the reason why a lot of us don't do anything is because we just don't know what to do. Well, on this episode of the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast, I have two guests, Lisa Bennett, who's been on this podcast twice before, and Rain Gilstrom, a new guest on this podcast, and we discuss what we can do at precincts to possibly have good constitutional conservatives in the precinct. Now, I'll admit, I'm skeptical of this solution, but I also think that it's worth a try. And if we can actually get the right people in to do the right jobs in these precincts, then I think it's going to be worth it. At the end of this podcast, we discuss the American Library Association as it pertains to Montana, a continuation of last week's conversation that I had with you all. Now, this podcast is going to be divided into three parts. You'll first hear this whole podcast, but the reason I'm dividing it up is because it was very long. So part one just deals with the election and precinct aspect. Part two deals with just Montana as it pertains to the American Library Association. And of course, if you want to hear the whole podcast in its entirety, well, guess what? You came to the right place. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Hi, Rain and Lisa. How are you? Doing great this morning. Thank you for having us. Yes. Now, Lisa's been a recurring guest, but Rain, let's learn a little bit about you. Where are you from? Uh, where did you grow up? Is there something unusual about your childhood or something special you want to talk about? Let's learn a little bit about you and uh, especially how you got into politics. Okay. Well, again, my name is Rain Gilstrom. I originally grew up, I was born in River Falls, Wisconsin, 1963, and lived in uh, Wisconsin uh, up until uh, 1981, February of 1981. My mom pulled us up um, and uh, her husband moved us to Missoula, Montana in 1981. And I graduated from high school over there in um, uh, 1981 at Big Sky High School. And then no work in the 80s, early 80s. So I went to the oil field area of Sydney, Montana, where I was for about uh, almost five years. And then in September, uh, it was maybe four and a half years, September of 85, I moved to Bozeman uh, to go to college. And I was at MSU for two years, but I remained in the uh, uh, in the Gallatin Valley for 33 years, and now I've been over here in Yellowstone County for the last uh, four years. Uh, was remarried, and um, uh, Kate and I live here in Billings. And so I got into politics um, 
as a small businessman uh, in, uh, in the Gallatin Valley area, probably around 2005, around there. And uh, I ended up kind of getting up out of my chair, going down, talking to a station manager at KMMS uh, in Bozeman. And what year was this? This was in 2006. I did okay. this. Um, okay. George, George Carter was the uh, station. Um, he was a program director, I think, there. And uh, I pitched a, a radio, radio program to him uh, called Loud and Clear. And uh, then I was on the airwaves in Bozeman through 2007 or no, through actually, excuse me, 2011, 2012, somewhere around there, the station went through a shakeup. And um, so that radio program was heard on Saturdays. So I did, I do have a little bit of radio background, small business background, uh, political background, just being involved in radio, AP press pass. Uh, got me into a lot of places, um, but then I, I, I made a discovery being part of the Gallatin County uh, Republican Central Committee meetings, um, and that's where I discovered uh, the Precinct Central Committee men position, and I was curious about it, and it seemed to be a very kind of a secretive thing, and that's that's what kind of kicked the door open there for me. So why did um, they get rid of you? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. What was your question? Why did they get rid of you at KMMS? That's AM 1450, isn't it? Yes, they they got rid of everybody. So, oh, okay. Yeah, they, there was just a shake up there. And um, so my position was non-paid. It was totally voluntary. Okay. So I just did, I did that radio program for two hours every Saturday um and it was a, it was a great experience so and i just tried to bring uh the ideas of morality back into politics christian morality back into politics and uh kind of called it the union of church and state uh idea uh because our political system is is based on the fundamentals of christianity whether people want to admit that or not and i wanted to have an open forum where we could discuss those ideas without stereotyping one side, uh, the left or the right side, and bring people together to talk about the, you know, just the how the founding documents uh, fit as the fundamental foundation of our constitutional republic, instead of it being a democracy. So that yeah, that is the, one of the biggest problems. Even as much as I think Donald Trump would be a good president, again, mm -hmm. uh, he's not perfect. He even says democracy. No, we are a republic. If we were a democracy, yeah, we'd almost we would have. I don't know if we'd have anarchy, but could you imagine how often we'd have to go to the polls and uh, how often we'd have to be campaigning for legislation? It would be a nightmare, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, it would be. Um, we have a, a constitutional republic. It's pretty clear. But, when, you know, when you tell a lie often enough, it becomes truth in the mind of the hearer, as it's been said. Yes. And um, so the only thing that's going to trump those lies, no pun intended, <laughs> yeah. is uh, is reclaiming the foundations uh, of truth. We are not a democracy. We are a constitutional republic uh, under a system of moral law. 
and uh, and it has biblical underpinnings and we can't be afraid to uh, reach for that high bar. Yeah, so you've got a solution, and this is where Lisa is going to be a great asset. How are you, Lisa? I am good. Good. Uh, we'll get to you. So, Rain, you've got a solution, uh, and this solution is nothing new. As I looked at it over, over the weekend, this is yep. uh, Dan Schultz, uh, his solution in Arizona. I don't want to talk. I do want to talk about this. Being a precinct committee man and yep. woman, let's be somewhat politically correct, uh, uh, tongue in cheek, but yeah, a uh, uh, precinct committee man, and apparently, I and explain this because I'm a little fuzzy. And Lisa, you can chime in too. Yeah, actually, I I do want to chime in because your listeners may not know that in the state of Montana, it is a requirement that every precinct have a committee man and a committee woman. So there are two people in that position, a man and a woman. And we in America, right, Lisa, we fight for equal rights, right? So here's, (laughs) here's here's equal rights with equal responsibility. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, so uh, Rain explained this, and you can chime in too, Lisa, uh, but explain how this works, because I guess the Republican Party is not going to tell you this, and I assume the Democrats won't either, that there are, I guess, uh, X amount of precinct holes, vacancies, I guess you could say, and they're not going to tell you this. How does that all work? Because I didn't know any of this till I researched our the podcast this weekend. Okay. Well, there around the United States, there are approximately thirty one hundred and forty six or thirty one hundred and sixty one counties. I'll have to review that again. But uh, it, back in two thousand ten, when I initially did some of this other research, was uh, thirty one hundred and forty one. Um, so, and for every one of those counties in the United States, there is a series of precincts. So Gallatin or um, uh, Yellowstone County recently went through a redistricting uh, where they, I think they had 44 precincts. Now they have 50, uh, 59 precincts. Can I interrupt right now? I I just want to add that the reason why that happened is legislation passed this last session that required all precincts to have less than 2,500 people. So there used to be districts that could have as many as 7,500 people in them. And we also had districts that uh, were as small as 25 people. So our, Mm -hmm. our precincts, our precincts are not necessarily balanced. It's not that all of them have the same amount of people that would be best if they did, but due to the layout of where, homes are located and the territory that they're contained in it doesn't necessarily work that all precincts will have the same number of people i for one in carbon county am in a precinct of less than 500 people but we have another precinct right next to mine that has 1500 and that's sort of the rule they call it the rural area around red lodge but really it's like the suburbs of red lodge if you can say something silly like that it's it's all the housing complexes that went up just outside the city limits of red lodge So there's a lot more people. And frankly, that should have been subdivided into either taking some of those people and moving them into my precinct or other adjacent precincts. But uh, that that did not happen because it's still under the 2500 limit. Yeah, well, and I I would agree with the 
uh, with Lisa, it's a distinct advantage, I believe, to have a more balanced precincts. They were imbalanced before, uh, they're balanced now. But in explaining how this uh, system works across the United States, again, going back to our opening, you know, it's equal rights for, uh, for equal responsibility. Uh, it's part of our constitutional uh, republic nationwide to have this two-party structure. Uh, the two parties, um, you know, are, there's a lot of contention between the two parties. Um, and if we don't like what the two-party contentions are, this is where we, the people, can get involved as precinct central committee men and women uh, under our state law's uh, allowance of these things uh, to conduct elections for both of the political parties to reform the political parties, and rightly so, they need it. So this is, um, the American public has been disenfranchised from the foundational structure of precinct central committee men and women in our constitutional republic. I believe that through the National Education Association and in Montana, the Montana Education Association, um, you know, this disenfranchisement has been purposely carried out. We'd like to say that it was carelessly carried out, but I believe it has been longstanding under, um, under free education for um, all people uh, in the United States under the Communist Manifesto that, um, that this disenfranchisement has happened. Um, it's not something that's not solvable, though. We just need to take the linchpin, which is we the people, and reconnect the train of the American people uh, to the engine that actually drives it so that they know where they can uh, make a difference because um, and where they can make the most effective difference. And that is in becoming precinct central committee men and women uh, in each county throughout and in each precinct throughout the United States. The primary role of these political parties has been lost, too. And uh, the primary role of the political parties is to educate the citizens in their precincts, in their counties, as to what their role is uh, in maintaining um, sound elections. And um, so showing, uh, showing people where their vote matters the most um, is the is that primary role and that that uh, that connection because uh, from precinct central committee men and women possess a great vetting capacity so when candidates come to either of the political parties to to seek a nomination to seek support uh, there has to be vetting capacity there so that um, that for both political flavors in our in in our country. Um, they can determine whether the, the the candidate who wants to run and get on the ballot is actually really who they say they are and will stand for what they say they will stand for. Because these guys have to take an oath of office to protect and defend our Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. And uh, and when that doesn't when that vetting doesn't happen, it's a free for all. Um, so that vetting capacity is is uh, super important. They possess a lot of power, too, because they formulate uh, bylaws by which the uh, county Republican Party and Democratic parties run. 
they elect uh, delegates for county conventions to form the county party platform that has to be consistent with the state party platform. They also elect uh, county delegates to go to the state convention, uh, which also does the same thing, formulates bylaws, uh, amends bylaws for the state convention, uh, for the state political party. But it also um, uh, edits or reforms or um, uh, redoes the... Um, uh, the, the state uh, party uh, platform, uh, and those all have to be consistent. So where there's inconsistency, then the state consistency uh, takes takes precedence. So that, and a couple of things on the on the state is um, is they elect delegates to go to the national convention for the DNC and the RNC. So, but. Also, the electors that actually elect our president in the United States, uh, they are elected at the state convention. So, and so precinct central committee men and women are only elected in primary elections. They, there's no general elections of uh, precinct central committee men. May and I women interject? Um, when there yep, are vacancies, However, well, we'll get so to the, we, some, yeah, someone didn't run for a position or someone moved away, died, resigned. Uh, then no. the committee can hold a meeting to choose a new precinct person for that area. And that's that's vitally important to know. They they possess uh, the executive committee possesses appointment power, but the executive committee is elected by in, in the local counties is elected by precinct central committee men and women so that that if i can interject not every ahead. central committee does it that way though it, the ones that want to have control centralized at the hierarchy basically the officer level will yep. do it that way but it all depends on the bylaws that that rain had mentioned earlier yep. and every committee has the power to if they don't have bylaws, because there are committees that don't have bylaws, I've checked into that. To I was shocked to fresh learn that. Set, <laughs> to have a fresh set. Um, when yep. I checked back in May, so I'm sure there's a few that have fixed it since May, but when I checked back in May, only 12 central committees on the Republican side had filed their bylaws out of 56 total counties. Now, some counties don't have active central committees, um, but I think it's only a yeah. small handful that don't. So the majority don't. And I would actually advise um, those folks that it should not be the executive committee that makes the appointments because the central committee is representative government, just mm -hmm. like we have representative government at the federal level. And mm -hmm. as such, the power should be with our representatives, not with the executive branch to choose who our other representatives should be. So as a result, I would recommend that if anyone is trying to put together their bylaws for their central committee, that the vote be taken of the entire voting membership meaning the precinct committee representatives, and yep. that they should be the ones that decide. But because a yep. lot of our central committees want to have a fistful of control over their yes. committee, their bylaws don't allow it to happen that way. So sorry to inter interject. Well, I do want to no. ask a few. Uh, do you have something else, uh, Rain? Well, I was just going to, you know, supporting uh, Lisa's position, that is the best way right there. Yeah, there's and they're called standard operating procedures. They're called bylaws. They, and, you know, and some people have bylaws, they don't even follow those. So, and that's, that's unfortunate, but the, 
there are so many vacancies across the United States and it's and it's apparent by the own vacancies in our own county here in Yellowstone County. It was the same in Gallatin County. It was is the same across the seven largest counties in the state of Montana. Uh, so it's and that was 15 years ago when I first started into this. And um, and it's the same problem now. So this is what needs to be uh, fixed and remedied. Um, so yep, they have appointment power um, and they have election power um, and it all I call it trickle up politics instead of trickle down. And you've got to get the trickle up started the right way um, or you're going to have a big problem, which we do right now. So go ahead with your other. Well, I, I want to go back to something that you said about how we have to fix the Republican Party. And mm -hmm. I want to go off on something real quick, uh, just yeah. go, go on a tangent here. Because I believe in 1992, and I followed this at the age of 12, we really had a chance to elect a third-party candidate, H. Ross Perot. And oh, right. H. Yeah, Ross Perot, in my opinion, yeah. and you and Lisa can chime in on this, really bought this on himself when he dropped out of the race and came back in. Now, I have my own speculations as to why he dropped out and came back in, but he did, and that really hurt him. Had he not dropped out, do you think we could have had Ross Perot as president? Now, that could be a stretch, but... Let's be honest. There was a time where he was ahead of Bush and Clinton. Uh, what do you think would have happened then? And why couldn't we have a third party candidate today for those purists out there? And I wonder that, too. Lisa, you want to go first? You want me? to? Yeah, go first? I'll, I'll, I'll go first. Not a problem. Mine will be kind of short. So I I am one of those young people who voted because I do believe that was my first election voting for president as well. And I was not a fan of George W. Bush or Clinton. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I was not well educated on who Ross Perot was. And I did vote for him because I didn't like the other two candidates. In hindsight, I regret my vote completely because I don't think Ross Perot was much different than George W. Bush. Uh, they, if you read his little manifesto that he put together, which I had not read when I voted for him, uh, you will see that in today's terms, he is quite the moderate Republican. You, some might even say he has Democrat tendencies. So Ross Perot was not exactly our savior, but as far as creating a third party, um, there is the strong possibility that he could have. Honestly, I think if we had had a stronger conservative American first person running, most definitely we would have had a third party, regardless of whether Ross Perot dropped out or went back in. I don't think that was so much the issue is he wasn't all that great or different of a candidate. And I didn't know that in hindsight until I got older and read more about him. I think the biggest problem I had with Ross Perot he was definitely an entertainer on the debate stage. And sure I just was. kept thinking, do I want a president who's an entertainer? We got to get down to business here. No. Uh, Rain, well, what do you think, though, about my question? And what what are your thoughts? I think third parties are failures um, because they do pull a lot of votes away from um, the two the two candidates. Um, I if the only way a third party would really work is if they had a county by county across the United States Central Committee 
equal to the same structure of the Democratic and Republican Party structures. It's the only way that it would work. So my view is, is that Ross Perot, as an independent, would have had to have run to, to have an opportunity, would have had to uh, primary um, one of the other candidates uh, through the Republican Party. So I believe if a green candidate wants to to run and instead of pulling votes, if he really was genuine, uh, they would run in the Republican Party or they would run as a Democrat. Um, that way, it's a fair fight between the two parties because the third party system has never worked. I voted for Ross Perot. I voted for. Um, uh, Oh, gosh, darn. Um, I was just can't think of his name off the top of my head. Um, Ron Paul. We had the same thing happen in Ron, with Ron Paul in Montana. He ended up on the ballot, but dropped out uh, before the ballots came out. So he still got votes. So, I mean, we had what Ben Carson uh in between Ross Perot and uh, Ron Paul as a candidate too. I, there was a period where I was voting my conscience who would best serve um, as a, uh, as a candidate for constitutional government. And so, and I think voting conscience is, is a good thing, but understanding how our political system works, um, it, it doesn't, it, it doesn't it's not always favored to go that way I, I came up with a little math equation well let me ask you this real quick yeah. what do you think yeah. i do remember in 2006 somebody yeah. from the constitutional party did get into the legislature what would you say about that i remember it happening because it was the talk down in utah for a while yeah i think i remember that too um i don't remember who it was um but it's not that it's not possible, but you you do have to get the you do have to get the most votes. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. And how the, do you think that third party candidate lucked out? I you know I don't know. Um, I guess the two two other candidates were that bad where it gave that person that opportunity. Lisa, what do you think? You know, I am not aware of who that candidate was, so I unfortunately not either. Don't have... I need to research. I just barely <laughs> remembered it as we were talking. Nope. Yeah. Um, so let's get back though to your idea, Rain. Well, I guess it's not your idea; it's Dan Schultz's idea. You just happen to be implementing it here in Montana. No, you know what? In in uh, Dan and I have known each other for a long time, and um, so and I've talked with Dan. Uh, several times on the telephone, um, long conversations. And, um, so, you know, we were, we were, we, what we did is we didn't, we didn't make any of this stuff up. This stuff is just there. So this idea isn't Dan's and it's not mine. It's just something that was meant to be discoverable when you actually look at how things should run. You go for the facts, you find the facts. Now, what you have to do is you've got to run the facts uh, and you've got to follow the plan. And, uh, and that's where you meet the resistance. And that's what I met when I made the discovery 
uh, in the central committee over in Gallatin County, they formed a committee to actually, okay, let's look into this. But I believe that was a, uh, a contrived committee that had a predisposition to, uh, to still keep it veiled and run a little bit of a scrimmage because I'll tell you what, I met more resistance once I made the discovery than when I first started attending the meetings. When you meetings. discovered that and there were vacancy precincts, you mean? The, the vacancy yes. Committee? I wow. mean, my, my precinct in Galton County was 41. They would not even appoint me to fill the vacancy. Wow. So, and they're wow. required by their own bylaws to fill the vacancy within 30, it was 30 or 45 days. I think it was 30 um, those vacancies had to be filled according to the, the state election laws, too. And if I may interject a little bit here, Kevin, yeah. part of the problem is that even if we're talking about a U.S. federal law or a state law or a committee's bylaws, they mean nothing if they aren't enforced. Correct. And there are many laws on the books that are law enforcement agencies or the bodies that are supposed to enforce those laws don't. So the EPA could have a law on the, or rule on the book that says X, but if they don't ever enforce it, it doesn't happen. And our border is a perfect example. People exactly. are not supposed to be flowing through the border, but our, our executive branch has chosen to let them break that law, right? So the same thing happens on central committees mm -hmm. as it does yep. on the federal level. And I would say it's even a trickle up because the central committee is where a yep. lot of our future leaders start. Yep. So they, they start as a precinct person and then they decide to run maybe for their house district spot at their state level. And then maybe that turns into a congressional spot down the road. So whatever yep. they learn, whatever their proclivity is at the central committee trickles up to how they're going to behave when they get more power in a higher position up the road. So my point with, with bringing this up is that there are certain central committees that fear that they will be taken out of their officer positions because an officer position is not the same as a precinct position. Precinct is an elected position. And in Montana, anyway, there is a state law that says you cannot remove a precinct person for any reason whatsoever. They have to die, move away, or resign, which means if they are completely incompetent or never show up to a meeting, you still can't get rid of them. They are permanently well, on, they're the, the only elected position that you cannot get rid of the precinct person for dereliction of duty or whatever the case may be. You can't impeach them. But the officers, which are your chairperson, your vice chair, your treasurer, secretary, and so on, those are elected within the group. And those, depending on what your bylaws say, can easily, with a simple majority vote in most cases, actually be booted out of their officer positions. And why those positions are so important is that our delegates that elect our state level Republican Party or Democrat Party um, officers are the chairperson, the finance chair, the state committee man, and the state committee woman. And those are four elected officer positions that are elected by the precinct people, not in the, the primary election, as Rain spoke of with the precinct mm -hmm. people. And those people can be removed at the whim of the body. And those are the voting members. And so... 
because those are really the more powerful of the positions as far as having the ability to influence the state GOP, it's very important for the state GOP and also those people in those positions to retain those positions. And as a result, they will tend to not want to fill those vacant precinct spots. And they will also tend to not want to call precinct committee meetings where it gives the precinct members an opportunity to possibly vote to remove them. And as a result, you will end up with dysfunctional central committees as they try to consolidate their power. And that's why a lot of spots are vacant and committees will not appoint someone to fill a vacant spot because that potentially gives them a vote against the officers, which then affects who gets elected. And it's not just electing the state committee people for the GOP. They also have a stake with this, the platform. This year, the odd number year, is when we elected our officers at the state level. Next year, however, will be when we discuss our party plank. And what that, that platform, which also has our planks, and, and platform is what do the Republicans stand for? Planks would be individual parts of what we stand for. Where do we stand on education? Where do we stand on taxes, et cetera? Those will be decided or at least reviewed again next year. So if people want to make suggested changes to the wording of one of our platforms, that can be done next year. But the only voting members are the chair, the finance chair, the state committee man, and the state committee woman. So those votes are very important because it can change the direction of what the party stands for, at least at the state level. And the same is done with our state-level delegates who then go on to the national level, the RNC, to make changes there. And I just want to interject really quick why mm -hmm. this is so important. Because if you think about what defines a Republican, right? Like we talk about, oh, that person's a rhino. Well, what makes someone a rhino versus a Republican? And really what it comes down to is your state has a platform and individual planks. Is your elected official making decisions or voting correctly along those party planks? Will your elected representative actually declare that they will support those planks? If your representative refuses to sign off on the state's Republican planks, he or she is in essence saying, I don't believe in the Republican Party. And that's where a lot of people then say, well, then you're a rhino. That's where that comes from. So I define a Republican as someone who will stand up to the U.S. Constitution and our state Republican planks, because that is where all of us that have a vote at the state level will attend and exercise that vote in favor or against a certain plank or language in that plank. And if you are a sort of, you know, labeled a rhino and you don't like a plank, then get your coalition together to change the plank. But once it's been voted on by the state, all, all the all the delegates to the state, then you have to stick with it. You know, a lot of people think they have to vote their conscience once they're elected. That is not what we're voting for when we vote for you to be our representative. We are voting for you to represent our interests, not your own. We don't vote for you to think for yourself unless it's on an issue that we haven't decided. But as a county, if we send you to state office, we expect you to represent what we want, 
not what you feel is right. And that's where the rhino label comes in. We have lots of people who claim to be Republicans, but won't support our values and our planks. And that's where we get into the disagreements. And that is why it is so important for the Central Committee to truly have good Republicans who believe in the party platform supporting it. You'll hear a lot about the big tent and how Republicans need to be a big tent. No, Republicans need to have people who believe in our party platform. And if you don't believe in our party platform, you're in the wrong tent. You need to go find a different tent. And that's what Rain and I are talking about with making sure that our central committees are filled with the right people. Because what happens is you have those rhinos that really aren't Republicans. They slap an R after their name on the ballot, but they don't support those platforms. And they know that there are lots of people that don't agree with what they're doing, but they want to stay in control. And the best way to do that is to restrict the number of precinct people they allow in to only those that will support them and not those that will encourage them to develop into better, stronger leaders. Okay, Lisa, I'm going to ask a stupid question. Forgive my ignorance. Is the word plank the same thing as a platform? No. So the platform is the uh, sorry entire... Sorry for asking a stupid no, question. No, that's but... okay. That's a good question. The platform is like the entire United States Constitution. Right. It's oh. it's everything that you stand for, whereas the plank is an individual section. So like we might have a certain article of the Constitution or an amendment to the Constitution that talks about a specific area. Uh, you know, the Bill of Rights might be the easiest. So like the First Amendment talks about freedom of the press, freedom of religion, talks about the um, petitioning our government for redress of grievances. You know, all those mm -hmm. sort of things are in the First Amendment. Right. But it does. The First Amendment doesn't say anything about search and seizure or warrants or anything like that. That's in the fifth. Right. So you have different areas. So a plank is is like an amendment to the Constitution that addresses just one specific topic. So the examples I gave, for example, are education. How, what do the Republicans feel about education? Well, in the state of Montana, we believe in choice. And that's in our that's in our plank on education, which is part of the greater platform. So platform will take all the different subject areas whether it has to do with Native American Indians, whether it has to do with education, whether it has to do with taxes, et cetera, housing, mm -hmm. all those are individual planks that make up the entire platform. And you have lots of Republicans or people that claim to be Republicans that run for office that refuse to support the GOP, the Republican Party platform. And that, I think, is is a big problem. And you'll have people that say, well, you can't agree on everything. It's like, that's correct. And you may not agree on everything that is in that party platform. But if you're going to run as a Republican, then you better agree to support the entire platform because you are claiming the title of Republican. And as such, you need to support the party platform. If you don't like a particular plank, whether it's taxation or somewhere else, then it is your job in this upcoming year to get your coalition that does agree with you to change that plank so that you can agree with the entire thing. But if for whatever reason you fail, it is your obligation to still support it in order to retain the R after your name. And if you can't do that, then you need to run as an independent or a Democrat.
So a plank is something <laughs> like, uh, what do you think of the Native American Indian reservations here in Montana? Should we get rid of them or just as an example or? No, 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 no. It's, it's not a stance, but what it is is uh, like, let, let's take education. We'll go back to education because that's yeah. an easy one to talk about. There, uh, there are certain, and every, every state has different planks on, on, on these issues, but under education, the Republicans stand for school choice. So it's yes. where do we stand on education so that if charter school bills come up, then we would vote in favor of charter schools because that's what our plank supports is choice. So that's where it comes in is to say, just generally speaking, we are for lower taxation, for example. We are for state sovereignty, right? So instead of having the federal government tell us what we have to do all the time, we should be voting on things that give the state more power, not the federal government more power. So each of those individual planks uh, are just a guideline for this is how we feel. So when a bill comes up for a vote, you can say, I, as a Republican, have to vote against that because it goes against our party platform, specifically the plank on taxes. Okay, I think I get it. Okay, so, uh, Rain, well, do you have anything tight. to add? Well, I think <clears throat> these um, these party platforms, if the platforms uh, are inconsistent with uh, two distinct documents, um, you know, then you have to amend the, you have to change the platform and you have to change the planks. Um, the number one, you know, number one document that drives America is our Declaration of Independence. The number two document, which secures the tenets uh, or the ideas uh, of the United States of America uh, in the Declaration of Independence is the Constitution. Um, our state constitutions um, supersede our federal constitution. So, because when the federal constitution um, goes against our state constitutions, you know, then we got some decisions to make. And when our state constitutions deny what's noted in the declaration, uh, you know, then we got to look at our state constitutions. I mean, right now on education, our state constitution uh, from 1972 guarantees that um, all uh, all citizens in the state of Montana will be guaranteed a humanist education. So uh, a charter school uh, is, uh, you know, the possibility of opposing uh, secular humanism by having a, a much more independent choice. But that's why the NEA wants to control uh, the, the charter school's curriculum through, um, you got some organizations, you got the OECD, uh, you have the um, UNESCO, those two primary UN organizations are what's driving education in the United States of America, which is fundamentally the underlying tenets of, of, uh, of communism being instituted through, quote unquote, free education. So freedom isn't free and neither is slavery. And uh, so if there if anything is inconsistent with the Declaration of Independence and our ability to use our constitution to secure those inalienable rights, then, you know, we have, and this is why precinct central committee men and women are so important because this trickle up uh, leadership is what's needed to actually reform the two parties. It's reformation. It's not reinvention. 
postmodern relativism is the mother of all reinvention. And that postmodern relativism is what's been introduced in the United States through our education system. We got to quit screwing around here. I agree with Lisa on, you know, the party platform and the, and the planks, the tenants to accomplish those kind of things. Our, our state uh, senators and our state congressmen, their primary role in Washington, D.C., is to keep as much federal policy out of our states as possible. I don't think they understand that anymore, and I don't think they've understood that for quite a long time. Can so, I interject here really quick yes, on that yeah, go ahead. point? So I've, I've heard it a lot, even at the state legislature level, where they will vote against or in favor of a particular bill, not because it's best for the people, not because it agrees with the U.S. Constitution or our state constitution or anything like that, simply because, oh, that would mean we would lose federal funding. Oh, so in other yeah. words, they invite more regulation and more control mm -hmm. from the federal government into our mm -hmm. state, which goes against maintaining the sovereignty of our state, which is mm -hmm. not only in the GOP's party platform, but that's in the U.S. Constitution. They not only vote against that, but the whole purpose for doing it isn't because it's better for us as citizens of this state or residents of the state, but because it would cut back funding and we would have to make up the difference or we would have to figure out how to pay for well, things. And and that's the wrong way and the wrong methodology to use for deciding whether something is a good or bad bill. Well, um, remember, I, I don't know if you remember when Mitt Romney was considered quite conservative in, in Utah. Supposedly, um, I Kevin, have I had my yep. suspicions about Mitt Romney mm -hmm. back in 2006, but go ahead. Correct. Yeah. And then in Utah, they wanted to Utah or Mitt Romney said, hey, we're going to pull Utah out of the National Education Association. We're going to pull them out. Of, I can't remember. If, I think it was. Uh, I think it was uh, no child left behind, uh, if I remember the policy, the education policy at that time, because there was no child left behind. There was Common Core, I think, came after that. But but once I mean, that made national news, you know, for about two weeks and then it went cricket chirping silent. So you kind of wonder what happened. Well, they figured out that if you're going to pull the state um, out of the NEA, uh, then you're going to lose your federal funding. And the problem is the hog trough is deep. And once you, once you lose, uh, once you face the fact that you're going to lose federal funding, these guys are way too tied into those, the having those federal funds. They just, <laughs> and public education in the United States of America is one of the primary problems. It's one of the 10 planks of the Communist Manifesto again that um, is leading this country down the wrong uh, primrose path. Well, we have a similar situation. We to, and we have to realize that. Yeah, we've got a similar situation. I don't want to get off track, but you brought up federal funding. Uh, we've got a situation you may know about, Rain. I'm not sure. I happen to be a little sensitive to this issue because I actually use public transportation, mass transit, whatever you want to call it. Yep. Whereas here in Billings, Met Transit has changed its whole entire routes, and now they have assigned bus stops. And I hate that. 
I used to really like the assigned bus stops, but having been here, I realized the flexibility of just picking it up on a corner. I know, you know, I can call Met Transit and say, I'm here with a, uh, a white cane. Oh, yeah. now I have to go to stops. I hate that. Why did they do that? Because of what you said, federal funding. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean they may not be able to stop along a certain route. If it's on the route, say, oh, here you go. But yeah, I do, I do like the flexibility. I never thought I would. But back to the election, how do you know, uh, Rain? Mm-hmm. If you are in the Republican Party, how do you know that there is a vacant part, a vacant slot, a vacant slot in the precinct if what Lisa says is true, which I believe it is, that they won't tell yeah. you? How do you find out? Well, what I did, so here, here's a great example. I went down to, uh, um, I went down to the county elections office on uh, Friday uh, afternoon, late. Uh, to see if the Yellowstone, if Yellowstone County has reported the current slate of appointed, uh, previously elected uh, Central Committee men and women um, for the 59 precincts in Yellowstone County, and they had not yet. So, but this redistricting really has kind of recently taken place. So there's going to be a little bit of uh, flexibility on some time to get things to kind of gel, hopefully. Um, but it's really, it's up to the executive committee to report that information to, uh, to Yellowstone County because they're not required by law to do that. No, they are. Uh, they are. They, they, they are, are in Montana. In Montana, they are required by law to report um, that information. However, there's yes. just like any other law. There's you're no talking enforcement. about redistricting, correct? We're, yes. we're talking about the precinct people that should well, that are elected. As soon as they're appointed, there's so the Montana GOP bylaws also request that the officers at convention, as well as any precinct people, get reported both to the GOP and get reported to the election administrator. Unfortunately, okay. um, and here's where where a lot of things come into play. People these days don't read, even people on central committees. That's a lot of people on, on central... phonics didn't work for them, but go ahead. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot. <laughs> Unhooked. Unhooked. Unhooked on phonics. There you go. A lot of people that are even chairman of their committee probably don't even realize that there are state laws that govern their committee. And the Montana GOP, whether it's intentional or not, I would say that it's somewhat intentional does yeah. not go around educating the central committees on what they nope. should do. And if they do, they do it in a manner that is not unbiased and it really right. should be unbiased. So a lot of central committees probably aren't aware that they have an obligation to report both to their election administrator and to the Montana GOP who they've yeah. elected. A lot of times the Montana GOP will reach out to them to say, hey, you didn't send anything in, not so much for the precinct positions that get appointed, but for the officer convention. And, and they'll send it there, but they will neglect to send it sometimes to their county election administrator, at least not in a timely right, fashion. Right. But there right. is a rule that says that they are supposed to do it within 10 days of when the appointment or election had happened. And the other side of the coin, though, with these precinct positions is that a lot of times the people running your central committee, especially if you're in a more rural area, 
where there aren't very many people to volunteer because they're busy with ranching and farming and other things and they don't have the time for it. Not only do they not know the rules very well, and not only is the GOP not educating them on how to be more effective, but you also have people that are too busy and maybe they don't even know how many precincts they have mm -hmm. or where they're located. They're having a hard enough time doing the very basics of what their committee has to do. But in bigger areas, where they are more savvy, it is sometimes intentional to not report things well. And then for a newcomer that finds out that this is a possibility that they could be a precinct uh, committee representative, they may be told, oh, we don't have a spot where you live. And it may not be clear whether that's true or not. Correct. Well, Lisa, it sounds like what you're saying is uh, if there's a precinct member who's elected or, or, or well, maybe not elected, but appointed, and it's not reported. Sounds like it comes back to what you said earlier. The rules are not being enforced, even though people are not reading or whatever. But it sounds like they're not being report, reported or enforced, yeah. correct? It, that That's true. And so what it comes down to is that it is not the election administrator's responsibility. Central committees are quasi-private, quasi-government meaning that we are officially on the ballot if we yep. run. And when we have to file between January and March this upcoming year to rerun for our precinct spots. So there's only a few months left before another election can happen. And so anyone that's listening, if you would like to, and we would love to have your involvement, um, be a precinct committee representative, then you need to go down to your county election administrator's office and yep. that's usually in the clerk and recorders division and request a filing come January and they can help you figure out what precinct you live in because they can look you up and then you can file the form to say that you're going to run. You do not have to get permission from your central committee. And that's part of our problem as well with the central committee is that anyone can file. So you could be an independent or a Democrat and decide to run as a precinct person on the Republican central committee. So yep. that's where Rain had said that you have to do a good job of vetting. So if there are more than one um, running, one person running, then the central committee needs to decide, well, gee, they're they're both really good candidates. We don't care who wins. Or, hey, Joe over there is really a Democrat. What's he doing running as a Republican? And then you have to get the word out because then there you will be on the ballot for the primary as a contested yeah. race. If no one files in your precinct, then you win by acclamation, which means you don't even have to be on the ballot because since no one's running against you, why, why print the ink? You're, you're automatically it. And in a lot of cases, the Central Committee doesn't have someone to run for every one of those precinct spots. And therefore, you just filling out the paperwork, you could get in just by acclamation because no one ran against you. Did right. that answer so, your question? I think so. Yeah. So when you say that you have to vote for these precinct members, you're talking about in the regular primary, correct? If if yeah. it's a contested race. So if Rain and I were in the well, no, actually, we can't do that because he's a man and I'm a woman. But um, if you had two men, let's just say it was you, Kevin, running against Rain, you lived in the same precinct in Yellowstone and yeah. both of you were running for that precinct spot, you both filed then the the public, the voting, the voters for your precinct, only your precinct mm -hmm. would have to choose between you and Rain to be your precinct. And, and this would be if you chose the Republican primary ballot, 
So you'd have to yep. choose the Republican ballot. You would get to elect, um, they would get to elect either you or Rain. However, right. if you guys were in different precincts and no one ran against you, you wouldn't even show up on the ballot because it was an uncontested race and you just won by acclamation. So you you'd only still have show to file. up. You still have to file. Yep. But you wouldn't show up on the ballot unless it was contested. So, right. yes, it technically we're quasi government because we are elected. And but you don't show up on the ballot unless you've got someone competing against you. So let right. me ask so, you this. Oh, go ahead, Rain. Yeah, I was just going to say. So what? So this this appointment. So we just had the uh, Yellowstone County Convention. And so there was a slate of uh, there, there's a large slate of un, uh, unfilled positions in uh, for men and women in each of these precincts. So they had about 34 um, precinct committee men and women that they had picked and put on a list as filling these vacancies. So, you know, it was uh, so I'm, I'm there just watching to witness this um, and. So they were all approved at that meeting, but most none of the 34 people were there at all uh, who were um, who were put on this list. They were called to see if they wanted the position. And then at the next meeting, they were to show up and learn about their appointment and how it, how it actually works. Lisa, you were at that meeting. Correct. And so and so was I. And and of all the people that were appointed, there weren't very many of them there either who were appointed and accepted their appointment. Um, so when trying to figure out what precincts are vacant and which ones are actually have filled, it can be complicated because you have to be able to get that information from the executive chair to provide you with a list. I have yet been able to get that list myself. As a citizen, I have every right to know those. That's why if I go down to the county courthouse, uh, I should be able to find, you know, the county elections office, I should be able to have that information available to me um, because they have to operate under the state election laws at, at our county level. And I'm just not able to get, you know, to get that information. So, um, so it's that's where the this little mystery uh, comes in. On one side, I believe uh, that information is withheld purposefully, uh, and sometimes it could be withheld ignorantly. But I'm you know in seeing how things are run, uh, I would say that executive self appointment of executive committee members, you know that it's. They want it to run inefficiently because it gives executive power to the executive committee who can continue to elect themselves. The Democrats have been doing this for a long time. They don't they don't elect anybody. They appoint them. Yeah. So, yeah. That, that's a very good point, Rain. So the Montana Code annotated gives you two ways to fill those precinct spots. You can either be on the primary election, you know, fill out to say that you want to run or the committee can just appoint the precinct people yeah. and the Democrat party in Montana chooses not to run in elections. They choose to handpick who their Democrat precinct people are going to be. And, and you can understand that if you have a body handpicking, 
then, you know, in the Demo if I were a Democrat, I would be opposed to this because if I'm not in the inner circle of Democrats and they don't like me, I'll never get appointed. I, I will never get a fair shake, even if everyone in my precinct prefers me over their handpicked candidate. Yeah. And that's why. So we we have uh, open elections here. We don't have closed ballots. Uh, if I'm uh, correct, correct, we don't. We don't. We're not, I'm not a card carrying Republican, and I don't know of anybody who's a card carrying Democrat. But you do pick a ballot, and in picking your ballot, that's that's your card at that particular moment. Um, but I, and personally, that that's why the vetting capacity of the Central Committee, men and women, is so important because it's the only way you're going to figure out who is a who's a constitutionalist. Um, because, I mean, you can have a Democratic Party platform, uh, national, state and county. You can do the same for the Republican. But if if nobody, um, two things, uh, elected candidates take an oath of public office, but it's optional at the precinct level, which I don't think that should be. I believe that they should be sworn is if if they appear on a ballot or they're appointed under state election laws through the central committees, I believe they should take an oath of office. We tried to get the oath of office amended to the Gallatin County Republican Central Committee bylaws, and that failed to pass that amendment. That is ridiculous because if we require it of our president and our Senate and Congress and uh, at the national level and the state level and anybody else who serve police officers, um, you know, uh, city councilwomen, judges. What, why don't we require central committee men and women to do this? That's the only way we can vet who's who in open election forum, because that's how the rhinos have infiltrated the Republican Party and changed the ideas of conservatism. Uh, they're worse, actually, than an outright Democrat is because they're always veiling who they really, really are. And I will ask what Rain said, Kevin. Uh, this yeah. is really important to understand as well. Most of our Americans, including those great neighbors of ours that we put on our central committees, don't understand the Constitution. They don't understand the oath. And they also don't understand that most bylaws, once they are in place, which I mentioned only about a dozen are, only a dozen central mm -hmm. committees have them. Once they're in place, they're very hard to amend, just like our U.S. Constitution. I think in the last 250 years, our Constitution has only, the U.S. Constitution has only been amended 27 times. And the last time it was amended was over 50 years ago. It's because it usually requires a two-thirds majority. And it's really hard to get two-thirds of anybody to agree to things. As a result, whatever your initial set of bylaws are, are uh -huh. pretty much what you're stuck with because it's so difficult to change it. Now, it's, luckily, I don't believe are, it is that difficult to change. If you want it, it, you can change it. Uh, you know, but it requires two thirds and to get two thirds to agree to anything is really hard. And part of the problem why it's so hard to change yeah. is that our, our people aren't educated. Our people. Right. Are, oh, yeah, I read the Constitution maybe in seventh grade, but I haven't used it since. Well, yes, you have. But, you just don't realize yeah. you have. But and the one thing, uh, one thing about that, Lisa, though, is is that the uh, the the equalizer in this is the Declaration of Independence and the U.S. Constitution, and that is 
that is an oath that both parties take to a single idea. You might have two political differences there, but both take that same unified oath. So that is worth that that makes it easier to pursue um, precinct central committee men and women taking an oath of office as well, because if they appear on the ballot, it's not quasi. It's actually they are elected under our state election laws. They have a, a responsibility to the constituents in their precinct, um, just like they have responsibilities to the uh, uh, to the Republican Party in 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 their respective counties and and their states. So I don't and see. I will, I will and tell the problem you that... is if we got too many lawyers, this is the biggest conflict of interest. This is one of the biggest conflicts of interest I see in the central committees is there's too many lawyers in the political party as precinct central committee men and women and as executive members, even chairs. I think that's a big because if we want to sue for what's right under our state constitutional law, uh, first thing you got to do is deal with a lawyer that's uh, that's actually heading it up. And I know several counties that actually have lawyer-based executive chairs. Okay, so let me ask you both this question. So anybody here in the state of Montana can say, I want to be a member of this precinct, a committee chairman. No. No. You have to be 18 and registered to vote, and you have to live in the precinct. Okay, but that, once you meet that requirement, then yes, if there is an available spot for you, then yes, yeah. you can. Okay, but an I guess now an executive chair, an executive chair is one of the seven members that head up the running the organization, which is elected by the precinct central committee men and women at their county convention. Okay, so okay, sorry, I I worded that poorly, but. Okay, so I could, as long as I'm a registered voter in Yellowstone County. In your precinct. Yes. Not just in the county, yep. in your precinct. Okay. Yep. Yeah, so in my precinct, I want to run, but and then I'm not vetted. How do we get the Central Committee to vet me to make sure that I am who I say I am? Because that's, they exactly. can't. that's a they great, <laughs> I love the question. That has to be part of. Um, it sounds um, like this is maybe we ought to get to the root of the problem. Okay, betting. so we, yep. we we okay, so we can't. And and Rain and I are on the same page on this one, which is that just like for your house district rep or your senator rep that you send to Helena, there anyone can file as a Republican. So I could be a Democrat and say, you know, I'm not going to win as a Democrat in my county, so I got to claim I'm a yeah. Republican, and I can file the paperwork and run. So what it comes down to, and, and this happens a lot, an awful lot, both at the precinct level, but not so much at the precinct level as it is at the, the, the running for a state level seat. But the, the people will claim to be something that they're not. That's where we come up with the term rhino. And there is no process or power of the central committee to actually vet and say this is our candidate and as a matter of fact the republican party overall including at the national level but specifically at the state level prohibits a central committee from choosing a 
a primary candidate over another. So if two Republicans are battling it out, let's just say because of redistricting, they now have to battle each other out. It's, it's not the central committee's hands are tied by the state and not being able to say, we back John over Judy. It doesn't work that way. It, it, I wish it did, but they actually say that it's against the rules. Now, a lot of central committees are pushing back on the state on that one, saying, but the primary is where it's at, because if the rhino wins the primary, we're stuck with him and have to vote for him yep. in the general. So we should have the power to be able to choose a candidate, especially if one is more of a rhino than a true Republican. But right now, there's this this overarching from the state level bylaws, which overrule the local bylaws, saying that you are not allowed to, as a committee, endorse a candidate. But what we can do and what we do have the power to do is to host forums to educate the public and, and mm -hmm. have debates and let people see for themselves the difference between the candidates. We just can't officially give money or endorse However, individually, we can. So I can be a precinct person and say, hey, I think Brad Barker is not a true Republican. Uh, he's you know, only voted 17 percent out of 100 percent on constitutional issues. Like you know, he's he's in there's 10 Democrats that did better at voting for constitutional issues than he did. And there's only two Democrats that voted worse than he did. Right. So to me, that shows he's not a solid conservative or a solid constitutional Republican. And therefore, I don't think he should be reelected. So I personally can do that. Our central committee is my it's my understanding that if he's got a primary candidate, we can't say, well, we back whoever is running against him. OK, so a couple of questions. Can yeah. we change that? Can we change it so that the central committees can vet these precinct candidates that are running as committee chairmen and women? And second of all, why is there not more debates happening across the state of Montana with the Republican side of we don't like this candidate, let's hold a debate? Why is there not more of that going on, and how do we change all that? So whoever wants to answer those two questions I'll, can I'll, go first. I'll, I'll get in really quick here, Rain, just for a little bit, and you can supplement yeah. what I say. Essentially, two things are going on. We would need to change our party platform. Um, or we would need to change our, our bylaws, more more so our bylaws and our platform. We would mm -hmm. need to change the state level's bylaws to allow for central committees to actually be able to back the true Republican in a primary. And I'm not exactly sure how that language would need to be worded in the bylaws, but the bylaws would need to be amended, number one. As far as your question on why aren't there more true debates, I will tell you that I am so sick of town halls. Because town halls are where you ask the candidate a question and they get to tell you whatever they want and they're done. The audience doesn't get to ask a follow-up question. The other candidate that might be running against them doesn't get to debate them. Uh, we don't have debates and I think it's because candidates are afraid of them. And then you also have organizations that want to be neutral and they feel that if they ask the tough question, they won't be perceived as neutral. And that if that candidate that they were tough on gets elected, that maybe they'll be doxxed because of how they handle the debate. So, yes, the Republican Central Committees should do a much better job of having true debates. And I am done with the town halls. Let the candidate do their own town hall. 
if we are going to actually have candidates discussing issues, it shouldn't be a pre-select number of questions that some committee came up with. It should be anyone in the audience asking the question so that the constituents can know the answers to their pressing questions. And then it should be debated among the candidates, not just some pre-statement that they put together beforehand. So, Lisa, I understand yeah, you're – got... oh, go ahead, Rain. I was just saying I, I agree with uh, – um uh, with that vetting capacity idea there i mean it's got to be the public's got to be able to ask these candidates to help um and, and i think that if the precinct central committee men and women positions were filled more with with more people from their precincts in these respective uh parties then it would be a lot easier to figure out uh, who's who, especially if we have an oath tied to the position. Um, it shouldn't be optional. The oath ties it to the Constitution, ties it to our state Constitution, ties it to following the bylaws of the, the county party, state party. And and you and I think precinct central committee men and women only serve for two years, right? Correct. Yep. Or, so, or less if they're appointed later on. Well, right. Yeah. If they're if they're appointed, then there's an election that has to happen. And that, you know, like right now, I mean, we got uh, let me see. They were appointed in um, October. So it was actually got November, December, January, February, March, April. Yeah, they'll be there so, for nine months. No, six months. No, because oh, they, yeah, they serve yeah, through, through the primary. Yeah, through yep. June. Yeah, you're right. Yep. 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 So. But anyway, so, yeah, they'll be there just for that period, particular period of time. Better, better nine months than two years. So. Anyway, yeah. So okay. and there's other other you've got to have standards. If you don't have standards for people to um, as as a foundation, then nobody knows what they're reaching for. So and right now, unfortunately, nobody knows how our constitutional republic works from the the real grassroots level. I mean, we're talking about the soil level here. This is Central Committee men and women standing on the foundation of the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, our state constitution. From there, uh, those are the objectives to reach down to or reach toward. And if and if people don't understand what those are, then everybody's going to respect uh, or everybody's going to expect uh, others to uh, to try and correct who are already erred in their thinking, who's already erred in their actions to get back to something that there's no oath or willingness to get back to in the first place because they really don't understand it or they do understand it to the point where they're they're deviantly operating at that particular level. We, and you've got to, you, that's the only way you got to reconnect. You got to reconnect the purpose. You got to reconnect um, the objectives uh, to the people who can actually control it. And that's the citizen and the precinct central committee, men and women. And then it starts up from there. So, Lisa, let me ask you a question. You just got reelected or something, elected to a, a precinct committee chairwoman, correct? I heard that anyway. No, no. So what happened oh. was is I, I ran in 2022 in 
was and am still a precinct committee woman for precinct 16 in Carbon County. However, what happened was the GOP, um, I should actually, let me go back. Montana code annotated says that the convention for officers, so that would be your chair, your vice chair, treasurer, secretary, and so on. Those elections needed to happen before the state convention in June. That's state law. However, at our platform convention last year in Billings, they made a bylaw change. The GOP made a bylaw change to say, we are not going to reelect our county officers until after convention. We want them to do it in the fall. Now, the original intent for changing when people were elected was actually done by Stephen Galloway. And his concern was, is he's a legislature, a legislator. And so since he is in Helena from January through the end of April, beginning of May straight, if they held a convention, he'd be unable to attend and vote as a precinct person and possibly even to run as an officer position. You are allowed to be an elected representative in Montana and also be a central a committee precinct person or officer. There's no, it, it seems to me that there is a law that says you can't hold two offices, but since they kind of consider central committees quasi and not really a true office, you know, yeah. it's, it's this gray area. They do allow representatives to, to be on both. So as a result, he was requesting that the convention be held in May. However, with th this would be the, the convention at the county level. However, since the state convention is normally held sometime in June, that didn't allow for much time to figure out who the new officers were to be able to invite them and get them registered to vote at the June convention. So Steve Fitzpatrick out of Cascade, Great Falls, who is a lawyer, said, let's just move it to the fall and we'll just let the existing officers be our voting officers, our voting delegates at our state convention. And so it was moved. And I think the ironic thing about this whole situation is that none of them thought to change the state law to match. And they were in session. And not only were they in session, but Steve Fitzpatrick actually had a different change to the same Montana Code annotated statute that could have corrected what it said in statute versus the bylaws. Um, he had a different change in the exact same section, and he never once thought, and he was involved in this whole thing, that he should clean up the language in the state code so that it matched up and change it from them being elected in the spring to being elected in the fall. So what we ended up with is a conflict where state law conflicted with the Montana GOP bylaws. But as a result, the lawyer said, well, we're allowed to make our own rules. That's part of state code. And this is one of the rules we made. So, yeah, it conflicts, but it's not a big deal. We're just going to have the elections in the fall. So we had our convention to elect officers, but we also had nine vacant precinct spots. And we elected nine precinct people to fill those nine precinct spots. So I was always a precinct person, but I have now become the state committee woman, which means I am a delegate to convention mm -hmm. based mm -hmm. on that vote. And uh, now I'm in that position unless, of course, I get removed, right? Because I, I am in a position, uh, I, can, I stay a precinct person, but technically the membership or the assembly can vote to get rid of any officer at any time based yeah. on what the bylaws allow for how you remove an officer. And in our case, we don't have bylaws and we're currently working on trying to get a good set put into place 
Uh, but it's not easy because we have a lot of people who don't understand the ramifications of what's in your bylaws. And I disagree with Ryan completely. It's not easy to change bylaws once they're in there because it's really hard to get two thirds of a body to agree mm. on anything. And so well, we're and trying to make sure we have the best on, set. <laughs> depends on the quality of the, of the whole of the body. So. Yeah. And the leadership they, of the chair. Correct. Correct. I mean, it, it could be easier, um, but if it, if it's left to run in dysfunction, then yeah, you're going to have, you're, you'll it'll always be difficult because there's really no primary objective. Yep. Okay. Oh, anything else you want to say, Lisa or Rain? Um, I mean, there's 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 tons more that that. Uh, well, let that me ask be... you this, um, because I do want to get to some other questions. Let me ask you this. Yeah. It sounds to me, based on our conversation over the last hour and 20 minutes, approximately, yep. that we ought to take care of the root of this problem and change the bylaws. Now, that might be very difficult, but we ought to figure out how, in the meantime, to host debates. How do we do that when the organizations are afraid? I mean, it's great that you're talking about running as a precinct a committee chairwoman or man, but it sounds like we've got to get to the root of this issue yeah. and vetting. How do we encourage debate? How do we encourage all this to happen so that you can run, I guess it's what, a two-year term as a precinct committee chairwoman yeah. or man? Yeah. Well, I, I personally, I'll chime in on this first. I really think that you, you've got to uh, have an ex you know, at the exec current executive level, the idea has to be proposed to uh, current executive members towards the body that they need to look at what their purpose in their community actually is. Uh, is it just to hold a Lincoln Reagan dinner? Uh, you know, is it just to hold a county convention? Uh, is it just to hold... Um, precinct committeemen meetings twice a year expecting a uh, huge change with just meeting twice a year. Can anybody really garner their purpose in just a, a, a biannual meeting? No, I think that so getting the Republican Party to agree that their number one role in their community is to educate their community on how our political system runs is something that has to be agreed on because then you can really get, and, and that should be a debatable thing within the existing uh, uh, Precinct Central Committee. So, and until that happens, I don't think you're gonna fix this problem because when people get appointed uh, or they get elected as precinct central committee men and women, and they don't understand their purpose, uh, the problem just is going to continue. So what do we do then? If, we, if we've got this great idea, yep. what do we do if this doesn't get fixed? Well, if it doesn't get fixed, I believe that we as private citizens need to rent a room at the uh, local library and, uh, and hold a public meeting. Uh, to uh, invite citizens uh, to come and hear about the precinct solution. 
Um, the Big Sky Worldview Forum, I've tried to pitch this idea to them to hold something uh, like this, um, you know, for the benefit of people in uh, in Billings. Um, so I've met with Dick Pence on it. And uh, it, you, when you're discussing precinct central committee men and women, it's really not an exciting term. It's easy to get the dead deer and the headlights look rather quickly. Um, it's a simple solution to a complex problem, but you got to understand the complexity of the problem in order to understand the simplicity of the solution. So it was, it was said sometimes the best solution to the most complex problem is the simple one. Uh, and, and we got to, we got to handle the complexity of it, but we've got to share the simple solution and it's, it's vetting capacity restored to where it should be so that, um, and then, and I think if, if there's some way to, uh, we've got to uh, get this information through our churches because there is biblical accountability in Romans 13, first Corinthians chapter six uh, and first Timothy chapter two, that if you're going to pay for devoted leaders and you're going to pray for devoted leaders and they're going to appoint judicial uh, followers uh, to adherent rules, then, I mean, this information has got to get out th through our churches. I, I've said a long time ago that um, the separation of church and state has infected the church worse than it's infected the state, or we wouldn't have the state's problems that we've got right now. And um, so I believe we got to get over that. We got to look at the union of church and state and the benefits therein. It's far more beneficial to have God as the underpinning that initially started our country to uh, have that underpinning remain as such, because to expunge God would mean expunging the preambles that note God in all 50 of the current state constitutions throughout the united states and we just gotta get we just gotta show people we gotta show people this is where your state is at this is where our state is at this is what we stand for are we gonna stand for it or are we gonna just lend lip service to it with no action toward it or are we gonna marry the two for once go ahead lisa yeah, I, I would add two things along the lines of what Rain is saying. Our people are intentionally not educated. They don't understand, haven't read our Constitution. They don't understand their rights. They have been lulled or placated with going to college, getting a decent job, going to Little League, maybe having a bowling league, whatever it is that they do, watching football games on Sunday, don't pay attention to politics, Everything is okay. Just live your comfortable life. They've been given just enough to be comfortable without the education or the expectation that they would get involved. And as a result, we have let a group of people make all of our decisions that are not making them yep. in the benefit of the people. They're I not agree. representing us. And so as far as what we need to do, I personally feel it's impossible to come up with a coalition of people who will make this change if they aren't educated in one, the constitution, but two, biblical principles. Because mm -hmm. those biblical principles are what explains what works in the constitutional framework. 
And that's not to say, you know, I, I get this argument a lot from people saying, oh, so if I'm an atheist, you don't want to accept me as a Republican? Is that it? This is all about Christianity. Your religion is better and blah, 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 blah. No, that's not what it's about. But it's about the fact that our Constitution is based on those principles from Christianity. All, we're not saying that you have to necessarily believe in the Christian God, but you need to right. believe in the Christian principles that created the Constitution, because as our founding fathers said, these, these principles in our Constitution only work for a Christian, God-fearing people, and yeah. they will be completely used and warped in ways that they were not intended to be used if people don't have those biblical principles to base their freedoms on, which means we'll lose our freedoms. And so yep. we have neglected teaching our children, our neighbors, our friends, not only biblical principles, but where those biblical principles founded the principles of our constitution, which are the basis for our freedom and prosperity. And until right. you get precinct people who understand that, you're not going to have good decisions from your precinct people. They will not understand the importance of an oath to the Constitution. They will not understand the importance of having certain things in their bylaws. You will have people that are perfectly fine having a dictator and a chairperson ruling over them and doing the work instead of them participating and contributing. It's easier. It's it's a lot of people look at it. It's easier. I don't have to do any work. Just let the chairperson do it all. And and when you do that, if you have a great, honest chairperson, that that it can work. But when you have one that is being manipulative or destructive, then you've ruined everything that you're trying to achieve through that central committee. Right. You got. We got to remember that the United States of America came about. Uh, because all other forms of government have failed. And religious persecution is what drove um, uh, our uh, initial founding fathers from uh, uh, England or Great Britain to Holland uh, and then to Plymouth Rock. Uh, and the Mayflower Compact being, you know, one of the first primary documents to setting uh, the United States of America uh, off on the right foot and uh so the pursuit of discovering truth independently through the scriptures was the reason why the united states of america was formed and there are distinct benefits for the unbeliever of those things and um we our government uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, said that we have a republic if we can keep it. And we know that our government from historical documents and quotes was our government was made for a moral people. You know, morals, morality has to be defined. It has a source. It's not relativism is not morality. You know, it's it's morals are based on facts that's why we have law that's why we have accountability under law for crimes but uh you know that is once once you know plea bargaining and and once um uh, not mentally fit to stand trial became precedences for uh you know for holding people accountable or not 
became the prevailing avenue of of legal function man, we we have got one big mess there's no standards anymore so the the whole i call it the duplicit oath lend lip service to god but you don't do anything uh relative to that i mean so help us god is the oath not to the declaration of independence and the or, and to to the constitution um it's it's uh it's god help us maintain the course that's noted in the declaration's preamble and uh in order to form a more perfect union in the constitution that perfect union is the union of of man and god's knowledge uh that's noted in the declaration of independence and that is a right and a duty both if we just have the right, but we have no duty, then we have no skin in the game. So let me ask you both this question. Yep. Um, if there are precinct members, you know, people who are running to be in and the, to fill these vacant slots as committee chairmen and women, and they're not being vetted, do you have any hope that things are even going to change and that the corruption will be? Uh, rooted out here in Utah or anywhere across the country. I don't know how it is in other states. I, I do want to get into mm -hmm. Utah. If if what's happening here in Montana is obviously true, what's your hope then? If these people are running and they're not being vetted or whatever, and they could say anything, and these mm -hmm. debates aren't happening and whatever. Well, yeah. If they're not vetted, um, it's uh, it's Vegas odds. Yeah. So does that make you, Rain and Lisa, lose hope in this in this idea? Because I like the idea, but we've got to have a yeah. little bit of, I know you hate the word, Lisa, but we've got to have a little structure here. Well, so my answer at the precinct level is that I actually go out and try and find people to run for precinct spots. It's not mm -hmm. like there's a million people clamoring for these spots. Most people don't even know that they exist. And so it's, it's a matter of us recruiting good people yep. and, and then getting them in there and they may have to run against another candidate, but here's where it comes down to it. The candidates who are the rhinos, they're not going to put in the effort to go door to door and talk to people in the precinct about why they should vote for them versus the other candidate. They don't do it. They just expect that they'll be put in by acclamation because no one's running against them. The true good precinct candidate is the one that is willing to do the ground game of going door to door. And I know I'm committed to doing that for various reasons, including my daughter's ballot initiative. I'm going to be going door to door, mm -hmm. gathering signatures for her ballot initiative C-124, which is to take the power from the Supreme Court to license lawyers and put it back in the legislature, which is where it was before the 1972 Constitution. And in yeah. the process of gathering those signatures, I'm going to be meeting face to face with the voters in my precinct and throughout the county. And that interaction is going to be meaningful when it comes time for a race. Uh, most candidates don't have a serious competitor and they don't put in the work. You know, they hope like maybe they'll do a mailer or something, but they don't really get to know the issues. And when I'm door to door with people, I'm letting them tell me what the issues are that they're concerned with, whether that's mm. homelessness, whether that's crime, whether that's the economy, whatever it might be. And, and believe it or not, I spent some time in Bozeman 
you know, the issue there was actually zoning. They had issues with zoning that they were very upset about. And, and that's a good thing to know because then that's something that you can address with the candidates that you're vetting. Mm -hmm. How do we get people across the state to do what you're doing though, Lisa? If they're, mm -hmm. how do we get people across the state to do what you're doing? If Boy, that's a million dollar question, huh? Mm -hmm. um, so some people are concerned enough that they want to help and they will do whatever it takes. There are other people that are really more complacent and it's going to take education and encouragement to understand that they're supporting a good cause. So right. I don't have the answer to that. That That's a million dollar question there, Kevin, is how do you mm -hmm. get people engaged when they're not and some people you can't, they're struggling just to put food on the table. They don't have time to volunteer. So you have to find the balance of the person who has the time or the ability to do it with the education to understand why they need to do it. Yeah. Okay. Oh, do you have something to say, Rain, before I go to the next well, question? Um, well, I would... Uh... I'd probably like to add on to what Lisa said that um, you, you can't give someone else your excitement and enthusiasm. So you actually, the, one of the best ways to uh, help people see if they're capable of doing something other than what they've always done is show them what the cost of doing nothing is. And, you know, if they value their life, their lifestyle, and what they have the freedom to pursue. Um, maybe the only thing that will help them understand uh, in the bigger picture is the cost of, of uh, when it can all go away. And I think we're looking at the, we're on the precipice of seeing that in the United States of America is the dichotomy is we, we want to bring uh, supposedly what is uh, right defense to uh, defend democracy around the world through, uh, you know, through helping other people protect their country, but we can't even protect our own. That, that is obviously the, the oddest and, and sickest foundation that I have seen. We, uh, we want to help other people with their national security, but we don't have anything that is defending our own. And, and how long have these officials, even conservative Republicans been uh, elected in office and we still can't get that? Um, man, that's, so you gotta, everybody has to have some skin in the game and part of skin in the game is knowledge and being able to devote the responsibility to someone else that starts at the county precinct level and works its way up from there because not everybody, that's why there's only a male and a female per precinct throughout the United States. You know, they, they can, they can uh, delegate responsibilities to block captains uh, in their precinct to help um, diffuse the level of, uh, of responsibility that it takes to go door to door. Um, and, not everybody can has the freedom to go door to door either because like um, you've got careers and you've got jobs and responsibilities to other people in your family, but you can delegate, um, you know, to other people in, uh, and, and we do that 
through voting. That's the beauty of our uh, of our our voting system is to be able to devote that responsibility to someone else. But we got to have something to hold them accountable to. And we have to have the Republican Central Committee um, as that primary resource for the citizens to be able to hold all elected officials accountable to their oath of office and um, the promise that they made to us that they're either going to fulfill or negate. If they negate it, then we got to be able to have uh, the avenues to remove them. But if the whole system is broke, then it's again, we're going back to a free for all. So, you know, how how best to educate the uh, to get people out of their chairs, you know, show them the pains of, of not having the freedom. And I think we're looking at the pains of no freedom in America right now and what that really looks like. So, oh, yeah, I've experienced it at first hand uh, just a few years ago. So I want to talk to you real quick. Yeah. I know we're you're running out of time, and I, I would yep. like to change topics if we have time. But I want to talk to you about Utah. Utah mm. had a system, still does, but it had even more so. I think before 2017, I believe, yeah, 2017, they had caucuses. They still do, but I'll tell you how it worked before. Okay. You would go to a caucus. Actually, it sounds pretty similar to what we're talking about here in theory, providing that people would get vetted. But in Utah, you have these caucuses. But back then, you had caucuses. It could be at a school. It could be at someone's house. Uh, I went to a caucus in Utah. We met, uh, my particular precinct met at a particular classroom. And we were vetting people. We were saying, what do you think of this? What do you think of this? All the list went on and on and on. So there were some pretty heated discussions for probably a good half hour, 45 minutes. I even gave my two cents worth. And the person who disagreed with me, I said, shut up and let her talk because I believe people need to be heard. But anyway, mm -hmm. yeah, they okay. would get elected, and those people would be the delegates at the Republican Convention of Utah. Well, then they changed it, I believe, in 2017, where not only there is a caucus now, but there's a primary. So now you could be elected as the delegate, and then the delegate will elect a certain pe person. Let's say Mitt Romney runs for governor. Let's hope he does. But let's say he does. But they don't like Mitt Romney, so they'll elect another person. Well, now Mitt Romney and this other person have to face off in the primary. Well, guess who wins? Mitt Romney. Why? Because A, most people don't vote in primaries. B, he's got the money, unlike the other person. So what, what, what was happening in Utah is we were electing people like Mike Lee uh, at the Republican convention. Lisa, do you know anything about this? And should we go back to a system like this nationwide? Obviously, states' rights and all occur. What is your opinion on this? Are you talking about my opinion on caucuses? Well, just the whole thing that I explained. I, I can... <laughs> Uh, you know, I would say that I don't like caucuses. I much prefer a primary. I've been in states that did both where they had primary elections and they had caucuses and caucuses to me were a joke. I don't like caucuses, Colorado caucuses, uh, because what you have is you have a group of people that lead the caucus and not not everyone. Like if you're a voter, you can show up, but you don't have a vote. Only the caucus people like they're pre-selected people. Here we go with the elites again that actually have a vote at the caucus. And you could have a thousand people show up to want to vote for Jane Doe, 
and support Jane Doe at the caucus. But if they are not the voting members of the caucus and the caucus wants to go with Mitt Romney over Jane Doe, then Mitt Romney wins, even though the majority of people there really wanted Jane Doe. It's 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 rigged. Caucuses are rigged and I don't like them at all. Well, we actually in our caucus, the one I went to, we actually had to I think we had to raise our hands or something if we wanted candidate A as opposed to candidate B. Mm. If I remember, I I can't remember if we voted on a ballot, but I, I think that there was a remedy to that in the Utah caucus. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, it's just Colorado was not impressive. Let's just put it that way. And uh, okay. I am one where even if I disagree with you, you should have the right to have your say if you are a registered voter and we should all be counted. So I am one for elections and I'm for them being mm -hmm. hand counted and I'm for them being mm -hmm. done on just one day of voting and and done at the local mm -hmm. precinct level. So we know who you are. <laughs> that's yeah. that's yep. the way I feel about things. And caucuses dilute that effect and i think that's why i'm not in favor of caucuses i think we had if i remember correctly i remember the republican party caucused uh for ron paul uh, to appear on the ballot i think um boy i can't remember the details of that but i remember attending the caucus and uh and it was so disappointing you know that you know you you get into the whole thing where he's on the ballot, but then he drops out. It's like, and then, oh, so yeah. when the ballots, when the ballots actually came out for the general election, he was still on the ballot. Yeah. And people still voted for him. So, well, I, I guess to... that's, I mean, we need to, and I don't want to hash this out because we already have, but we need to get more people voting in the primaries. Most people don't vote in primaries, but I do want to change topics oh, yeah. if, if you're all okay with that. Yep. Lisa, did you know that the Montana Library Commission, in, I believe it was October 11th, voted to my understanding, disband from the American Library Association, or at least make it so that there are the eight major libraries here in Montana that serve over 25,000 people no longer have to have a library director who has a degree in library science. Were you aware of this? Well, I did know that we moved away from the American Library Association. Yes, I did. Okay. And yes, the Library Commission voted. I believe it was five to three, I believe. I know on my previous podcast, I said it was two to five. I think it's five to three voted yes on the fact that they no longer have to have a library science degree. Now, I don't know. You know, I suppose you could have a, not have a degree at all and get in there. I suppose you could have an IT background. I don't know the specifics yet. And I understand Governor Jim Forte. Well, uh, the Secretary of State is drafting mm -hmm. this right now, and I'm sure Governor Jim Forte has a say. But uh, Lisa, what do you have to say about this? Uh, well, I've got a lot to say about libraries. Well, for starters, the top of the American Library Association, which is it's just an association, right? So it's not any mandatory no. government agency, um, is a card-carrying communist. Right. And so the, she there's no way you can separate your personal beliefs and values from your job, whether that's as an elected representative or as part of an association, et cetera. What um, what I saw 
through my experience with requesting materials for libraries um, was was pathetic. So for those of you who don't know the process, your librarian has a big, thick book like the old Sears catalogs from 100 years ago oh, that, wow. lists, that lists all the publications of, of books out there. But when you belong to something like the American Library Association, you have rules that that cause your local library to not be able to do what they want, but they have to follow the rules of the association. And one of the one of the things that I discovered when I requested that a certain book be carried at the library was that if it wasn't listed in that big book that they had, which not every book is listed in that catalog, they can't order it. But on top of that, even if it is listed in that catalog, if it hasn't been reviewed by a certain number of librarians, meaning that the book has been read and then a review was written about the book as far as whether it was a good book or not, if the reviews hadn't been done on a book, it also couldn't be carried in the library. So here's the catch though. How do they determine which books they're going to review and which ones they don't? If you happen to be a conservative author or, or have a, a philosophy that the Librarian Association doesn't like, they'll just make sure your book never gets reviewed and then therefore it can't ever get ordered into the libraries. So once again, you've got a trade association type of guild that is censoring material that can make it into a public library that is paid for through taxpayer dollars. So in other words, certain books are pushed and promoted and other ones are intentionally withheld through the process of how books get ordered. So, and that's on top of the LGBTQ issues with books. I know that Moms for Liberty and Yellowstone ran into the problem where they weren't asking for the books to be removed, but they were asking for them to be tagged, meaning a sticker placed on the binding, and that they be kept in a certain section so that younger kids couldn't accidentally pick up a book that was maybe on a display case and start reading things that were not appropriate or that the parent didn't want that child to have access to. And there was a great pushback on even just doing that kind of labeling and security of books that had more promiscuous language in them. So as far as I'm concerned, it's a great thing that we're not part of the American Library Associations. I personally am opposed to almost every association that's out there because associations are lobbying groups and they exert power over our appointed and elected administrators of different aspects of things, whether that's a library, whether that's an election administrator, secretary of state, et cetera, attorney general. And I'm also very glad that Austin Knudsen pulled out of the attorney general association because it's the mm. same thing. You get people that infiltrate these associations and then try to promulgate or promote their views. And in essence, they have a captured audience that if the captured audience isn't attuned to the message and doesn't understand that they're being manipulated, will then start enacting policies that are contrary to we the people and who we elected and what we want done. So it basically associations give these lobbying groups another way to infiltrate our government that takes the power away from we the people when we elect people. So I'm opposed. Okay, so let me ask you some questions, Lisa, and I, I appreciate your time. I know we're running up against the clock here, but I really want to get this out there because I did a podcast on this last week. 
And I went, this is back, mind you, back in 2003, no, 2002, and I used to be a Democrat, although, oddly enough, my Democrat friends thought that I was conservative for being a Democrat, but I was a Democrat. We can get into that later in a later podcast. But I went to a library in Ruston, Louisiana, and I asked them, because I actually, I still think this guy did really good radio, even though he is a liberal, Alan Colmes, which I'm sure both of you have heard of. You've probably heard Hannity and Colmes. Well, many of you right. may not yep. know Alan Colmes was a nationally syndicated talk show host long before Hannity and Colmes existed on the Fox News channel. Anyway, in 2002, Alan Colmes came out with a book called Red, White, and Liberal, and I wanted to go check it out. So I walked over to the library in Ruston, Louisiana, and they said, well, we don't, we don't have this book. Uh, number one, we're a small library. And number two, it's a conservative town here, and we don't carry books like that. Is it because that that library was in a small town, therefore they could get away with not having that or what? And then I have another question once you're done answering that. Well, so what I can tell you is that each state has different rules with their library associations because they're state level associations on top of the American Association. And each library gets to has a budget, right? They can only buy so many books with their budget. Whoever is on that library board helps the librarians determine the policy for which books are purchased. But I will say that what I was describing is that regardless of the budget of the library, Regardless of what the library board influences the librarians to do, if that book was not in that catalog and if it had not been reviewed by a certain number of librarians, which I believe was three, yeah. it could not be ordered, period. Now, I'm sure that the book you're questioning, Alan Combs' book, I'm sure that the answer to that was simply that they did not have sufficient budget to purchase lots of material, and that was just one they chose not to carry. I'm pretty sure it was probably reviewed and probably available. It's just that library didn't carry it. Well, and back to, I mean, in the librarian's defense, if it's if it's not going to be chucked out in a community like Ruston, why buy it? Right. I mean, let's just be practical here and economical. I mean, it wasn't the end of the world. I never did get the book, but here's the issue that I'm wondering, Lisa, and you may not know about this. As a blind person, I have access to the American Library Service, uh, NLS, a National Library Service. It's for blind people, and you would be surprised what's on that, what's in that, uh, what's on their website that I can download in Braille. Why? So tell me then. And I don't want to get, we got to wrap it up here, but tell me, Lisa, and Rain, you can chime in on this as if you want, but yeah, I'll get, I'll let Lisa go first since she's an educator, homeschooler, and all that. Um, I went to the Billings Library, Lisa, back in 2021 and requested the book called The Great Reset. Maybe it was in 2022. I went. And they had it. They also had a bunch of books by Mark Levin, all these conservative authors. And I, I now you've got me curious. I'm going to go to the library today. Uh, you know, as um, it's obviously this podcast is going to be published on Saturday. But after I do this shortly, I'm going to go to the library because you've got me curious and see if they have books like uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, which maybe they had before. So why do you think these, if they had this before, 
they distance themselves from the American Library Association. Why are they having these books if they don't like them? Is it because they want to look good to the public? Because obviously, like oh. you said, the well, okay. So it's not to say that if you have a liberal librarian, she's going to ban all conservative books, or he, uh, or vice versa. If you have a conservative librarian, they're going to ban all the liberal books. That's not it at all. They do have to be responsive to their members. And whether they like the book or not, if it is in that catalog and been reviewed and they have the budget, they can order in whatever book or they can do an interlibrary loan for the person if they don't own that particular copy of the book. So mm -hmm. um, there's not necessarily that overtness happening. However, if you are on a budget, and you do have a proclivity to lean one way or another, and maybe a book isn't as popular. Like I know a lot of Mark Levins end up on the New York Times bestseller list. So, you know, when there's high demand and popularity, they bring those books in. But if it's one that isn't, they won't. And I know my big issue was that um, textbooks are not reviewed or in that catalog. Very few are. And I, I thought it was very disappointing to find out that libraries will not order textbooks. Now, that's not to say that they will never, that no library will, but that generally speaking, they will they will do what they call research books or reference books. You know, they'll maybe have a set of encyclopedias if those things still even exist. Uh, I, I, you know, now everything's online, but they will not order in learning books. So as a homeschool mom, I wanted to see what some of these textbooks said before I spent the money and ordered them. So I wanted to check them out at my library first to see if it was material that I was going to actually purchase. And I was told by the children's librarian, because this would have been a children's book, that they don't do learning textbooks. That That's not what the library is for. The library is really for research and reading, but not teaching, so to speak. And so they would not order in those textbooks for me. Okay. Interesting. I never I never even thought about checking out a textbook from the library. I always assumed that they never had them, but interesting to know. Because I understand there's certain books, like you were going back to, Lisa, that I guess Naomi Wolf has a book coming out about the beast. I can't remember the whole title. I wrote it down here, though. It's about the beast and... I actually called the Billings Library. They don't have it. Now, in all fairness, that book has not been released yet. And it won't be until the November, until November. So I don't know if it's on their radar or what. They did have a book, though, about vaccines that, well, they said, we'll have to get it from an annual loan, but we have it. So obviously, I, I guess my question to you, Lisa, is this. If a book is reviewed by the ALA or these librarians that review these books, does it have to be a positive or negative review, or does it just have to be reviewed and therefore it's in that catalog? Well, that's at the discretion of the librarian, right? Okay. Because if it has a negative review, then they're less likely to want to bring it in. So I would say that if it had a positive review, then it, it's like kind of you got the golden key, you're in. And if it doesn't, then there might need to be another process to accept purchasing it when once again, you're dealing with limited budgets on what you can purchase. Would you say that Billings might be a bit more lenient about their books as opposed to, let's say, New York City or Los Angeles, California? I don't have an answer to that because I, okay. I don't know what the process is at those different libraries. 
And I wonder how, now you've got me curious, and I don't know where I'll find this information. You've got me curious how the National Library Service works for blind people, because they got all kinds of books, conservative, liberal, even the creature from Jekyll Island, although they do not have the updated version, but I figured out how to get that in Braille too, which is another story. But a friend of mine was surprised just how many books are available for blind people out there. And I told him, well, technology lets us kind of cur, you know, manipulate that a little bit. But now you've got me curious, Lisa. I don't know where to check, but you've got me curious. Well, I'll tell you that I did not understand this process in, until I started looking into it. It never occurred to me that that there was a limit on what a library could bring in. Yeah, I didn't either. Yeah. Anything you want to comment on, Rain? Uh, no, the National the uh, National Library Association, you know, it's just something that's not been on my radar. You bought it up to my on my radar uh, on the ALA and um tom bennett's um uh, proposal to remove montana from the ala which i i agree with i read it i read why he did that and and i agree with or and lisa bennett uh had mentioned some of the things regarding the 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 head of the ala and i, I i'd agree that montana doesn't need to have any business in that side of the fence so. Yeah. And actually, Lisa, I do have one more question because um, I, I think don't have this bill. Oh, go ahead, Rain. I was just saying, I, I, I personally believe ultimately the woke will go broke. So. So, Lisa, I don't know if you know this, but Kalispell actually did. I don't know if they removed themselves from the ALA, but they said, OK, we're not going to have a library. It's not going to be mandatory to have a library science degree if you're going to be in our librarian in Kalispell. Now, that could have been because of shortage of workers. I don't know. They ended up losing thirty-five grand of federal money over this. Is that going to happen to all the libraries in Montana now? And uh, you know how much we count on the federal money. What happens next? Well, absolutely. Federal money always has strings attached, and they're usually strings that don't work for the people. It works for the agenda of whoever wrote that bill. And so it definitely can have a cascading effect depending on whether other libraries follow suit. I don't know whether that was only an issue that was brought up in Kalispell, meaning that they're the only library that mandated that or if that's going to be a statewide thing. If it is statewide, then it will affect all the libraries. But if it's isolated, then it will just be that one library. But once again, when you have these mandates and think about the library science degree, right? Yeah. How many people actually say, I want to go to school to be a librarian and I'm going to study library sciences. It's a really small group. And so there are very few schools that probably offer that degree. In addition to very few schools offering that degree, you've got the university has got to pay for that faculty and staff, and they've got to encourage more people to take that degree and one way to do that is through legislation that mandates that in order to work at a library, you have to have that degree. So then it forces people to choose that major to keep that teacher employed at that university. You know, it's always follow the money, right? So, yeah. um, so that takes away the power from the local community who says, you know what, we're rural, we're small, whatever the case may be. You know, we think that someone who has a business degree is just as capable of running the library as someone who has a library science degree. Like library science is really not all that intense 
of a study that you need to have a degree in it. And so with the federal government, and in this case, I'm going to assume it was the American Library Association and probably some school school associations or lobbying groups that lobbied the federal government to make it a requirement for federal funding that they had to have these degrees. And they do that an awful lot. And it's it's disgusting that they attach all this money to requirements that impede free enterprise and impede the movement of people from one profession to another. Frankly, I don't think you need a library science degree to run a library. And I, I and, don't either. And requiring it then limits your pool of who you can hire, which increases the salary you have to pay because you can't just hire somebody else. So it goes back to the how the whole system and free market works. If you put these requirements in place that really aren't necessary, you're driving up the cost, and that cost is paid by us, the taxpayer, right? And, and it's hidden. We don't. How many people have ever gone to their county to find out what the library budget is and how much their people have been paid? Heck, have they even done that with their county commissioners and the people that work at the county building? Most people haven't, and I think if they would, they would be shocked to see what the income levels are that these government workers are getting paid compared to what you make in the private sector. And if private sector people were allowed to take some of those jobs, like let's just say that you don't have a library science degree, but you want to apply for that position, you have a regular liberal arts degree, um, that salary will drop because you'd be willing to accept that job for less. Why? Because you didn't have to get a master's in library science to become the librarian, and you don't have an extra $100,000 worth of student loan debt that you're paying off. And so it, it's feeding the education system. It's feeding the liberal causes. It's, it's not helping we, the people. It's just putting more onus on our back through tax taxation. Yeah, good point. I, You know, Lisa, you've gotten some points up. You've really got me curious now. We'll have to talk off the podcast sometime. By the way, is there anything else that uh, I wanted to go over or that I should have gone over? Uh, Rain and Lisa, speak now or forever hold your peace. I'm going to, I'm just, all I'm going to say is that regarding the Central Committee, uh, it's been the wide public view that there are primarily three branches of government, the executive, legislative, and judicial I just I don't want people to forget that actually there is one branch above them all, and that's we the people. So there's four branches of government. We the people are number one. We delegate power to the executive, legislative, and judicial. I, okay. And I would like to add that most precinct people don't do their jobs. They're supposed to educate. They're supposed to know who lives in their precinct, who votes, and they're supposed to get the vote out. Most of them don't do anything at all other than hold the position and maybe show up to a meeting and vote. It's important, too, though, that if you do have a good precinct person or even if you don't and the position isn't available because it's been taken by someone, that you can still become what we call a block captain, which is you may not have a voting seat at the committee, but you can still go door to door, whether it's with petitions or candidate information, get people registered to vote, make sure that you know who's moved and who isn't so that you have a clean voter roll. There's so much that can be done. And a block captain essentially takes a small section of the precinct and volunteers to be the, the contact with the residents in that section to make sure that they're aware and informed of what's going on. Because it's right, hard for that... the precinct person to do the whole precinct by themselves. Well, true, but it's also, you know, to become a block captain, you, you know, there's an appointment process that you got to go through and people who 
who know that process actually have to share that process with uh, with other people. And that's it, it goes back to the executive committee. So it's going to take people who know to be involved in the precinct central committee to hold the executive committee accountable to their role. And that's where that's the challenge I met in Gallatin County. They didn't want to do that. It's likely the challenge we might face here in Yellowstone County, too. Um, so we'll we'll see what what transpires there in the coming months. Okay, Lisa and Rain, two more questions and we're done. Uh, I'll let whoever wants to answer this go first. Uh, what do you folks like about being in the Patriot movement? Well, I'll Rain, take you that one take that? Yeah, oh, please do. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I think, uh, well, I think that, you know, I, I always say that, well, I'm a Christian first, and then I'm a Republican by necessity. And if that defines patriotism, uh, great. It's That's my philosophy on how I've got to run myself. Uh, it goes back to the that quote that I said earlier, freedom isn't free and neither is slavery. Uh, history records the detriments uh, of slavery. And uh, today's uh, today's type of slavery is sold at all levels. So um, I just want to be a, a patriot for um, for the truth. And uh, and that's biblical truth first and then declarative and constitutional truths second to that. Because when uh, when people's duty and responsibility fails, mine can't. Uh, when the Constitution uh, is not upheld, it's just merely ink on paper, um, I still have to hold true to God. And so that's my view of uh, patriotism, who I serve. Okay, uh, Lisa, I'll let you go. Yeah. So for me, it is the knowledge of how many different patriot groups there are out there and how we seem to have our little niche of what area we operate in, but that we have forgotten that we are all connected and all serve the same ultimate goal. And so for me, it is trying to connect those groups so that they realize that they're not isolated and that together as a group, we can accomplish more if we support each other. So for mm -hmm. me, Good it point. has been finding those groups and bringing them together to help support the common cause, whether that's for election integrity, whether that's for teaching the Constitution, whether that's for water rights, private property rights, that sort of thing. Uh, we we need to stop operating in isolation and reinventing the wheel. And so for mm -hmm. me, the best thing about being a patriot is that I'm able to find like-minded groups and expand not only the network politically, but um, intimately with, with new friendships. All right, last question. Um, and then uh, we'll let you go. Uh, I'll let you answer this, Lisa. I'll let you answer this first, unless Rain wants to. I guess I'll let you decide once the question's been asked. Who is your favorite talk show host slash podcaster slash YouTuber slash Rumbler, whatever? Who's your favorite commentary as far as talk radio, <laughs> podcaster, video commentator on Rumble or Fox News, whatever? Who's your favorite commentator? Okay, so I'll I'll take I'll take this first by saying that mm -hmm. I don't have the time 
to listen to everybody. You know, I'm actually one of the people out there doing versus complaining and listening and, and that sort of thing. So there's probably a lot of people I haven't been exposed to. So I don't want to derail um, a good person out there by not mentioning their name. I will say that who got me engaged initially, but I don't have time to listen to him any longer uh, just because he's not on serious radio. And I spend a lot of time in my car and can't get him on serious. And I have no idea where he is on the local AM FM channels and what hours he's on, but it was Glenn Beck. Glenn Beck yeah, is yes, the one. He's on serious. I, I can't find him on my serious. Uh, I know exactly where to find him. channel 111 <laughs> triumph seven to seven to 10 Monday through Friday. Okay. Well, seven um, to 10 AM triumph one eleven. Okay. Okay. All right. So um, he's the one who got me started because he got me thinking about connecting the dots. Um, I will say, though, that a lot of people talk about how great Steve Bannon is. I have hardly um, had a chance or an opportunity to listen to very much of what Steve Bannon says, but I am definitely a Steve Bannon, uh, I guess I'll say a crusader, even though I don't listen to him every, all that often. So don't know everything that he has to say, but the little bit I've heard, I'm definitely on board with what he has to say. And uh, I know that there's probably a ton of great podcasters out there, but I just haven't had the time to investigate them. So I, I will I will say that I get a lot of my news from the Epic Times, and that has been the the best news source for me and absolutely love the Epic Times. Uh, highly Joshua recommend. Joshua Phillips does them. a great job over there, by the way. Great. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so it started off with Glenn Beck, who I don't get the chance to listen to much anymore. I don't well, listen much to Steve Bannon. Now you can, because I told you how to get him. <laughs> yeah. But the little bit that I've heard, I really like Steve Bannon, but most of my news um, is coming from the Epic Times. Oh, and I love the Gateway Pundit. I think yep. Jim Hoff does a great job. Uh, so kudos to the, the Gateway Pundit for what they do. Okay, Rain, uh, I'll hand it off to you. Well, I would think uh, Rush Limbaugh was... Um was a great engager and um i uh you know i think he affected talk radio in uh at the golden eib microphone much more so than uh, glenn beck did but um i'm not totally dissing glenn beck um um the other radio talk show host i like is known as the great american bill cunningham oh yes um, I, he is good i I really like listening uh, to Bill. Some of these guys go go a little bit deeper than you know just national talk show uh, hosts do. Um, you know, I think Dan Bongino. Uh, I think Dan Bongino is is good. Uh, you know, he's filling the shoes of Rush Limbaugh. I think, I think his Limbaugh, podcast is better than his radio show. But go ahead. Yeah, I think uh, Rush Limbaugh's hard shoes to fill. Um, so I don't know. Other than that, I don't well, I've have told people, um, we are going to have to be our own Rush Limbaugh's Rush Limbaugh inspired us. Yep. But now that Rush has passed away, we've got to be our own Rush Limbaugh's. I've said that I, time and time I again agree. on this, on the podcast. I agree. I mean, I like, I mean, Mark Levin, um, Mark Levin has got a lot of great points. He comes from the position of a lawyer. I think he's just too crass and stereotypical. He plays, he plays the democratic game. Um, I mean, you, uh, you just, you verbally beat people into submission doesn't win the war. So, 
Um, and I've tried to get into his show several times, but everybody, every one of those shows has a gatekeeper. And if you can't appease the gatekeeper. I will tell you this, though. Mark Levin has some great books. I haven't read them, but just oh, reading he, about them. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he does. And, you know, we were just talking, uh, my wife and I were just talking about uh, the one that uh, was kind of not being put out by Barnes & Noble. So his oh, most Oh, that's recent, right. I heard yeah. about that. Yeah, yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, Mark Levin is a, is, is a good writer. Um, I've got one of Glenn Beck's books. I haven't read that yet. I think it's The Great Reset. Um, but um, so, but uh, I just, I, I like Sean Hannity. I think Sean Hannity is really good. I have not been able to get on his show because of Linda. <laughs> So oh, I, think, I think there's, yeah. I think there's, uh, you know, they're gatekeepers. You gotta, you gotta watch the liberal gatekeeper because, mm -hmm. you know, there's that whole idea, know who your friends are, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies closer. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, folks, uh, I will, uh, I'm going to end this podcast and I will talk to you later, folks. Thank you very much. Thank you, Lisa. Good to spend some time yeah. with you. Likewise. Thank you for having us. Yep, thank you for having us, Kevin. Thank you for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Williams. If you want to follow the podcast on Facebook, go ahead and do a search on Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone, and the Facebook page will pop right up. If you want to follow the podcast on X, Getter, and True Social, do a search for at RKY Freedom. That's RKY Freedom. If you have a suggestion on how I can make this podcast better, or if you think that I should interview a guest, just go ahead and email me, Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at protonmail.com. That's Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone at P R O T O N M A I L.com. Thank you very much for listening to the Rocky Mountain Freedom Zone podcast. Hey.